Up next, Secretary Ben Carson talks about the coronavirus and the administration's response. Uh, Dr. Carson, this is something that is evolving, and as something evolves, the recommendation changes. How important is, is that for people to be patient until you, the administration, the White House just figures out exactly what they're dealing with? Yes. Well, this, this is an evolving situation. And, uh, you know, we look at what happens in other countries, and that informs us uh, in terms of what is likely to happen here. And that's the reason, for instance, uh, the president very quickly uh, put a travel ban on people coming from China. That's the reason that this week a travel ban was imposed on Europe, because we're looking at where is the disease uh, multiplying rapidly. Right now, that happens to be Europe. And we had thousands of people coming into this country from Europe every single day. And each one of them becomes a vector for the virus. And uh, so by stopping that, we're hopeful that we can depress the peak incidence of disease. And if we can do that, then hopefully we can also cut down on the deaths that occur in this country. Uh, you know, one of the things about viruses is, is definitely the unknown. There seems to be a panic. There's a psychological aspect to this that I must tell you, I have never seen before. You know, part of your education was psychology. And you understand it well. Talk about the psychology and talk to the viewer sure. out there listening to this and how much their own psychology enhances what we're doing and make it much more difficult. Well, you know, if you just, you know, look at sheer numbers, uh, you know, things were considerably worse during the H1N1 uh, episode. During the Obama administration? Uh, whenever it occurred. Yeah. It doesn't matter whose administration it is. Uh, but things were much worse then. But there wasn't anywhere near the panic at that time. Thousands of people died. Uh, but, you know, there was just, yeah, that's the way it is kind of mentality at that point. Whereas this time around, uh, you know, we have a, a much smaller mortality so far. And we intend to keep it that way, although you can't guarantee what it's going to end up being. But... With what we have now, the magnitude of the panic is much greater than it was with any of the outbreaks that we've had before. And you have people making wild predictions, you know, 900,000, a million people dying and things of that nature. Um, could that happen? It could, particularly if we didn't do anything about it. But we are being very proactive uh, in terms of, you know, excluding people from coming in in terms of the way cruise ships, which are places where this kind of thing can multiply quickly, are being treated and some of the recommendations that we're making and really getting out to people to understand how important their personal actions are. Even though they may be young, they may be healthy, they may have very little risk of you know, being uh, severely affected by the disease. They must recognize 
that they can still be carriers and they can still, you know, take this to other people and particularly vulnerable people, you know, elderly people, people with immunocompromised states. And uh, I think that is getting across to people more so than it ever has before. So, you know, there's always a silver lining to everything. And by people being much more cognizant now of the things that they can do in their own personal lives to keep from spreading disease, this is going to have, I think, a big impact next year in flu season. And uh, I suspect that our, our deaths from the flu next year will probably be cut down fairly substantially because people have learned you know, how to maintain their own personal health and safety. So let me follow that up with a weighty response. Should we wear gloves? Should we isolate ourselves at home? Should we not worry so much about toilet paper and water and think about the food that we need to stock up on? Should we not ride the subway? Should we not fly? Should we forget about the train? Should we suspend the subway? How far do we need to go? Well, the toilet paper thing is a little bit hilarious. <laughs> Nobody needs more toilet paper than they did before the virus. Um, but, you know, we should be intelligent. It's been made very abundantly clear that if you fit in the vulnerable category, you need to behave differently. If you are elderly, uh, if you have underlying significant uh, conditions, particularly that affect your immune system, and if you have both of those things, you need to act extraordinarily differently than a young, healthy, vigorous individual. We had an opportunity to speak with physicians around the world, and they were talking about how the, the emergency room, the ICU is just overwhelmed, and how people need to really understand that if what really um, tells one that they may have symptoms of the, of the coronavirus are respiratory and breathing problems, and they start to have a fever right. along the way. It's not just coughing, it's not just sniffing, but I, I like for you to address that, but I also like for you to address the fact that not everyone, because they're coughing or sneezing, needs to go not only to the emergency room, but to the hospital itself. Right. How do you juxtapose when and when not to go? Well, if you have a cold or if you have the flu, not a coronavirus, what do you normally do? You go to bed, you drink plenty of fluids, you nourish yourself, you stay away from other people, you try not to infect other people. You should still do that. And to be honest with you, even if you have coronavirus, if you do those things, it will pass. You know, generally in about two weeks, the whole thing is gone. Whether you knew it or not doesn't matter in terms of whether it's going to stay with you or go. It's going to go. You give it an appropriate amount of time. The difference is, if you have coronavirus, how do you interact with other people? They have to be extremely careful uh, because it's highly contagious, two to three times as contagious. And if you're going to be around vulnerable individuals, uh, then you obviously need to act in a very different way. 
if you have a cold or you have the flu uh, and you have a fever and you're sniffling and, and coughing, um, should you be concerned about whether you have coronavirus or whether that is just your routine you know, upper respiratory disease. And in the vast majority of cases, that's what it is, just your routine upper respiratory disease. Call your doctor, you know, call your healthcare provider, describe your symptoms. Don't go rushing to the operating, to the uh, emergency room. Don't go rushing to the doctor's office where you could either spread it or become the victim of somebody else who was there, but call your health professional they will guide you into the right avenue. I just want you to really address people overwhelming the hospitals and those facilities at this time. It's just... Well, it, it, it's not helping anybody uh, if you rush to the emergency room uh, where if you do have the coronavirus, you can spread it uh, very quickly. That's why it's so important to talk to your healthcare professional. Describe to them the symptomatology. There are some slight differences between the coronavirus and a regular flu or a cold. Coronavirus frequently has more of a, a chest manifestation. Uh, but that's the reason you need to talk to them so you can describe the symptomatology to them and they can help distinguish and that will uh, give you the ability to, to get the kind of direction that's appropriate. And keep in mind that for the vast, vast majority of people, they're not going to be desperately ill. And they can easily be managed in a home quarantine uh, environment. So, so doctor, explain um, to our listeners, you know, it even happens to me, and I think I'm pretty educated and sophisticated. Um, you know, you read something and everything you thought you knew about the virus, you just forget about it. And then you, somebody send you something from Snoop saying it was a hoax. It was not even true in the first place. And you know, while people are panicking, I think people like myself in the media business, we contribute to that. How can we be more responsible? And how do we get people to trust the information that's out there. You have the president's doctor who's testifying before Congress saying one thing about testing equipment and then the president is saying something else. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. How do we get, including the president and everybody else involved in this process on the same page? Well, I think common sense helps us tremendously. Uh, recognize that, you know, different people will say different things uh, based on how it impacts them. But what we need to, to, to listen to, people we need to listen to are your healthcare professional that's taking care of you. And, uh, you know, the, the people, the experts who are working on this problem on a national stage, they are assessing this information every single day. And they are learning too. For instance, uh, early on, you know, they all, you know, listened to, uh, the people who were producing the test. And, you know, they were told that these tests would be available. So, of course, that's the information they disseminated. Uh, the fact of the matter is, as time went on, it became clear that 
those tests were not being disseminated in a widespread manner. You know, they were in certain locations, it was very easy to get a test done. But in other locations, it was very difficult to get a test done. That obviously is changing now because our system was really not set up to take care of widespread testing. Um, and if you want to do widespread testing, you have to involve the private sector because they have the ability to ramp up very quickly and to produce what is necessary. And the government then has the responsibility of certifying it. And they can do that pretty rapidly because we know what is necessary for it to be an effective test. Um, that's being done now. So that whole situation is obviously going to change pretty quickly. But there, there was a lot of misinformation about that, uh, even amongst the scientific and medical community. Uh, and, you know, you have to go on the basis of what you hear. But that's one of the reasons, for instance, the task force meets every single day sometimes more than once a day uh, as new information comes in because they have to use that information to make the appropriate recommendations. So, so what did you think um, from your medical judgment and your history of understanding these viruses is the best and worst case, case scenario for now? Well, you know, the best case scenario is that you know, we tamp this thing down before it gets to the levels that it has gotten to in other nations. That we learn from what's happened with them and we take the appropriate actions in order to uh, tamp down the rapid development of the disease. Uh, that's what's being done right now. We'll see what the impact of it is. I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful, but no one can make any guarantees. Um, if, in fact, we were not doing that, it would be spreading like wildfire. If we still had thousands of people coming in from the areas of the world where this is rampant and each person then, you know, touches and affects two or three other people, you can imagine how quickly it spreads. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid that worst case scenario. I think something um, that you're saying here is that even the government can be caught off guard Absolutely. by crises. And, and what you're also saying is that you're still learning this. Even the best doctors and scientists in the world have gotten it wrong. Absolutely. And some of this information has gotten to the president of the United States. Right. And it's not that the president is intentionally misleading or is confused. He can only report what's given to him by the people he trusts. That is exactly and then right. as that information changed, he has to change too. That is absolutely correct. And you know, there, there needs to be a level of maturity here rather than just finger pointing. Uh, you did this wrong, ha, ha, ha. You know, we, we just need to ascend beyond that. That's sort of third grade playground stuff. And recognize that when we have serious problems that affect the well-being of all of our citizens, that we need to come together. We need to work together. We need to use the best practices and the best information. We need to disseminate it quickly. We need to be transparent. We don't need to be accusing each other of all kinds of nefarious activities. And uh, I think that will help to eliminate and alleviate the problem much more rapidly.
so, so Dr. Carson, help us understand viruses in and of themselves. Well, you know, they're proteinaceous entities that actually come into a cell. It can be a healthy cell in your body, and it actually has the ability to commandeer the mechanisms in that cell. It's sort of like uh, you have this factory that is working very well, uh, producing good product. And then somebody comes in, a, a little army comes in, and they go to the control room and they take over. And they say, you're no longer going to be producing that. Now you're going to be producing our stuff. And they force you to do it. That's what a virus is. That's how it, it operates in the body. Are, are there places in the world where the coronavirus will not have an impact? Are there people in the United States who literally depend, depends on their DNA makeup, uh, how they take care of themselves, has nothing to fear with the coronavirus? Does that exist? Well, there, if so, why? There, there is no question that it does not seem to have much of an impact on, on children and young people. There are other viruses, and your normal flu, the annual flu that we have, has a huge impact on children. We, we, we lose a lot of children every year to the normal flu. Uh, we haven't lost any to the coronavirus because there are things about each virus that are different and they mutate and they change so we can never become complacent. But right now, that's a tremendous advantage to us in this particular outbreak. I don't know if we've ever seen in our lifetime such the disruption of the social order of the United States infrastructure overnight. Well, you know, we are in a cycle, 24-hour news cycle, where people have various things that they want to proclaim, and unfortunately, that affects their objectivity. And, uh, you know, that occurs on both sides. Uh, it's just something that we have to deal with. And, you know, the people themselves have to learn, you know, how to filter out, you know, fact versus opinion. And you used not to have to do that when there were people like Walter Cronkite, who was, you know, quite a left-wing zealot, but you would have never known it uh, because they knew how to disseminate the news in an objective way. Uh, we've lost a lot of that, unfortunately. And people just have to recognize that, that they have to be able to filter things appropriately. How important, so one of the things that we forget sometimes in the world, and it's not politically correct to talk about it, you know, sometimes the world has seen spiritual illness. And sometimes crisis situations like these test our faith. I know you're a man of faith. You're unapologetic about it. Many people admire it, and it gives them calmness and hope. How important is a person's faith through these uncharted territories that we find ourselves in? Well, faith is what frequently gives you confidence and calmness uh, to be able to deal with something in a rational uh, fashion. Uh, so for me, it is obviously incredibly important. And uh, I also believe that, that God is the source of all wisdom. And... Uh, you know, when I look back at the history of our country, 
and the fact that a ragtag bunch of militiamen were able to defeat the most powerful military force in the world, and the fact that George Washington was a man of great faith and prayer, and that there are many instances that are recorded of interventions that are not explicable, I think it's important that this country maintain a basis of faith. And I'm glad that we haven't succumbed to the people who say we should take under God out of our pledge. I'm glad we haven't succumbed to the ones who say take in God we trust off of our money. Um, I think it's an important reason that we have been so incredibly successful as a nation. The reason that we rose to the pinnacle in record time and it will be, as far as I'm concerned, the reason we remain there or the reason that we decline. It would depend a lot on our faith. Dr. Carson, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Armstrong Williams Show and truly educating us on the coronavirus. A pleasure. Yes. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of The Strongcast with our honored guest, Secretary Ben Carson.